You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. I got to spend some time by video with one of our mission partners. Because we are streaming this morning, I'm not going to name names because they are in a part of the country that, uh, or a part of the world that used to be in the double digits as far as persecuted countries go, but they have now moved up to the single digits. They're among the most persecuted countries in the world. So we have to be pretty careful and don't want to be specific with names since um, the service is online. But this team, our partners, are so faithful, and, um, and they have grown. This is good. This is an encouragement. They've grown even with pressure, even amidst COVID, even with the pressure of more persecution. They've grown. When I first met them, they were serving several villages in the central part of one country, but now today they are serving three different countries, three of the most persecuted countries on the planet. Um, yeah, and the reason I want to tell you about them is that their ministry is almost exclusively driven by nationals who have come to faith in Christ. There, there, are, there are hundreds of pastors connected with their ministry, and, and most of the way they minister, most of the way those pastors minister is through stories. They don't read scripture. They just tell the stories of the Bible because most of the people they reach are not literate. In fact, the pastors themselves are not literate, but the stories are winning lives for Christ. So our partner and his team have developed a discipleship system called CPDM. It's Church Planting Discipleship Model. That's what they call it. And they put all the books of the Bible into a storytelling format, and then they record them on old-fashioned tape recorders. Yeah, tape recorders. That's what they still use. And, and leaders in the movement memorize the stories using the tape recorders, and then they tell the stories to new believers who then take those stories home and tell them in their home villages and in their homes. That's amazing, isn't it? I know this is not a great analogy, but what I think about is like that that, that kind of pesticide that you put out in your home and a roach gets the pesticide on them and then they carry it back behind the walls. <laughs> it breaks down after a minute. I get that because we're talking life, not death. But teach the story to someone in a way they can remember and they will carry it back to their village and slowly over time, house churches begin to form. This is not just good missional theory. These uh, when, we, when we first started with this mission partnership, they had maybe 400 churches connected to them, which is huge. Today, they have 7,000 churches, 7,000 house churches that have been started as a direct result of their ministry. And during the pandemic, churches were being planted at an even greater rate, many of them by women who are not literate. Many of those women have been abused. Our friend just says, Jesus just keeps showing up through the stories. The thing is, it takes decades to put an oral, um, to put an oral uh, language into print. It takes years more to translate that, the, the Bible into that language. And in a very persecuted part of the world, carrying a Bible could get you thrown in jail. 
But stories, stories don't take years to tell and memorize and, and, and translate. Stories travel. And our friend says, nobody can take the stories out of your heart. Nobody can take the stories out of your heart. So no wonder Jesus built his teaching ministry on stories. Some of them really simple. Some of them just a couple of lines long, the, the, the simplest metaphor. But if you were listening, if you have ears to hear, that's what he said all the time, if you have ears to hear, what came through those simple little stories was nothing less than the inbreaking kingdom of God. Jesus taught people how to look for the kingdom of God. So when Mark wrote his account of the, of the gospel of Jesus, he used fewer parables or teaching stories than, than Matthew or Luke, but he, but, he, but, he, but he grouped them strategically to make a point, to demonstrate that when Jesus taught, his value, his goal was the kingdom of God. So let's look at Mark chapter 4 together. That's the longest teaching section in Mark and where four of the eight parables are, maybe five of the eight parables. I just want to do a broad sweep of the chapter and then we're going to focus in on one parable that Mark tells that nobody else tells. Best way to engage the message is with your Bible, something to write on, something to write with. When, when, when Mark chapter 4 begins, Jesus is on a boat and he's talking to the crowds. And he says, it's just a quick version of the story. There was a farmer who sowed some seeds and he tossed them out. And as he tossed them, some fell on hard soil and some fell on rocky soil and some fell among thistles and some fell on good soil. And the seeds that fell on good soil bore fruit. I want you to remember that. That's a litmus test for kingdom uh, effectiveness, kingdom activity. Sometimes he says, he said, sometimes when you, when you cast that, that seed out, it would bear far more fruit than one seed should have been able to, to, to bear 60 times or 30 times or 100 times more fruit. We don't have to guess what Jesus means when he teaches this story because this is one parable he actually explains. He says, Mark chapter 4, he tells his disciples that the farmer is a person like him who wants to teach people about the kingdom of God. So as he goes, he spreads that teaching everywhere indiscriminately. He doesn't try to carefully figure out who's going to like this and who isn't. And let me focus on the people who like it. He just tosses. He's not trying to preserve words. In fact, you get the sense from the story, there is no shortage of words. Let me see, hear an amen from my extroverts in the room. No shortage of words. So the farmer, the one teaching, he just tosses and tosses, tells the story, shares the news. So what does that teach me about the kingdom of God? It teaches me that there is no shortage of good news. There's no shortage. And that the kingdom of God is generous with it, happy to share it without judging the hearers before they have a chance to hear. And that's the strategy of our mission partner in Southeast Asia. They, they spread the gospel everywhere. They give out hundreds of cups of soy milk to the poorest of the poor children every single week. They give out thousands of blankets every winter. They actually have VBS for tens of thousands of children every year. They teach sewing to women who have been abused and, and, and abandoned by their husbands and, 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 and help women to get a livelihood for themselves. 
And does every single person they touch become a believer in Jesus? No. In fact, most of them don't. It's sort of like Jesus' parable of the, soil, of the, of the soils. One in four might get it. Does everybody get it? No. But, but, but our friend says this. You never have the chance to speak Christ into the life of someone you never meet. It's why we do what we do here. We, we teach GED and we do exceptional circles for children and young adults. We have somebody on staff in the community room down at Maxwell House. We toss food to veterans with disabilities and to folks downtown. We we, we toss out the opportunity to be educated. We, we, we mentor women through women of worth. And we, we toss out the 12 steps. Does everybody we talk to come to Jesus? No. But you never have the chance to share Christ with somebody you never meet. The kingdom of God is generous, even extravagant. So after that parable in Mark chapter 4, Jesus asks a question. Look at verse 21. He asks, he said to him, do you, do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or bed? No. Do you, do you put it on a stand where its light can benefit everyone in the room? Yes, that's what you do with a lamp. This is sort of an exclamation point on the parable we just talked about. His point is this. If you've been given the good news, don't be stingy with it. Don't hide it. Be lavish with what you've been given. And don't worry how it works. Just trust that it works. You know, we think to ourselves, whoa, we don't want anybody to think we're weird. We don't want to show up at Walmart and get a prophetic word about somebody and ask if we can pray for them. People might think we're weird. I want to say to you, people already think you're weird. <laughs> okay? Whether you carry Jesus or not, somebody out there thinks you are a fruitcake. And you think that about me. Guess what? I don't care. I've got the microphone. And so we're all <laughs> tossing. We're all tossing. Just, just share what you've been given. That's the point. Don't hide it. Share it. Somebody somewhere needs to hear Jesus just the way Jesus comes out of your mouth. That takes us right into this next parable. This one's about how a seed grows. It's the parable that we find only in Mark. It starts in verse uh, 26. And so uh, none of the other Gospels tells this one. So we're going to come back to it a minute and look at it a little closer. But after that story, Jesus tells another one about mustard seeds, where he teaches us that the kingdom of God can seem insignificant until all of a sudden it isn't. <laughs> Something can seem like a small thing. Then you turn around one day, and, uh, and it's got strength and power, and it blesses people. What a great thing the kingdom of God is. All these stories are building a case for the character of the kingdom of God. Basically, Jesus and Mark want us to hear, it isn't what we think. The kingdom of God is generous, extravagant. It is not afraid of running out, and it seems insignificant until it isn't. The kingdom of God travels, and the kingdom of God grows, and the kingdom of God isn't necessarily something, listen to me, the kingdom of God isn't necessarily something you have to, to understand so much as do. That's the point of the parable of the growing seed. So I want you to look at verse 26. He says this, he says, 
This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. I love that. He doesn't know how. All by itself. The soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel on the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Such an odd little story, isn't it? No explanation attached. Only Mark tells it. And I think I know why. I think it's because it says some hard things about the kingdom that are true. That anyone who wants to go looking for the kingdom needs to know. Listen to me. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a guy who doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know how it works, but who doesn't let that stop him from doing it. Listen to me. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a thing that works in ways that aren't necessarily logical or reasonable or even knowable. It just works. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like waiting for a plant to grow or a pot to boil. You can't make it happen by watching, and you can't stop it by not watching. <laughs> Take it from me, who has burned a lot of things by not watching them. They don't stop cooking just because I stopped watching. This is my, this is my recipe for cheese toast. Put it in the oven. Go check your internet stuff. Come back when you smell it burning. That's my recipe for cheese toast. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's relationship with mystery. You will wake up and you'll go to bed and the, the whole time you're doing your life, doing other things. It'll be right there working and you have no clue how. You just keep doing your part while the mystery keeps doing its part. Listen to me. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's something you do, sometimes with a blindfold on, and always with a deep trust that what's happening under the surface will eventually show up as fruit. And that's how you know it's the kingdom of God. It bears fruit. So I have to tell you about this thing that happened. And I'm trusting you because this is not going to be comfortable for you. Last week, I spoke at Aldersgate Renewal Movement's annual gathering. This is a group that's been around for decades. It's a group of charismatic Methodists. They've been around for, like I said, decades, and they come from all over from this gathering. I, pray, I prayed for somebody from the Philippines who drove, I came from the Philippines just for this gathering. I'd only been to Aldersgate one other time. It was about 26 years ago. I was in seminary, and uh, this odd character at seminary drugged me there. And I don't know why I even went. It wasn't my culture. And this person was odd. But it was such an experience. There were thousands of people there that time. And, and they were worshiping and praying and dancing and speaking in tongues and getting laid out in the spirit. The whole nine yards. And these were Methodists. I remember thinking to myself, they might be Methodists, but they are crazy people. <laughs> so it's funny to me and a bit ironic that I am now the keynote speaker for the crazy people. 
So listen, I have to tell you what happened. The first night I was there, I, I, I drove in on Thursday evening, and on Friday I spoke. So the Thursday evening, I, 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 was, I was there at dinner, just um, getting dinner beforehand, and Kevin Watson, who wrote the books, literally wrote the books on, on discipleship and, and, and uh, class meetings and bands, he's a wonderful academic. He, he asked if he could uh, sit with me. We sat for a while. We talked. He, Kevin and I, we just love each other. Great mutual respect, but he, we don't talk often. He doesn't know what's going on in my life. And somewhere after we finished uh, dinner, he asked if he could pray over me. He said, can I pray over you? And I said, sure, you can. And he, and he started to pray, and he spoke a word into my life that only the Holy Spirit could have known to speak into my life. I mean, it was a huge word, huge, an amazing word, a healing word. I was so grateful for that word. And that was during dinner. I mean, we hadn't even gotten to the service yet but I felt like I'd gotten my blessing already. So then we went to the opening worship service that night, and at the end of the service, they have these prayer ministers come, and they line up across the front, and you can go and get prayer. Well, during the service, I had just gotten really tired. I thought, you know, that word's just kind of, you know, I, I, I've got this word. It's, it's a thing to have that kind of word spoken in your life. I was really tired, and I thought, well, I'm just going to beeline up here to this couple right here. I'm going to get prayer, and then I can leave. If I do it first, I'll be an example to other people, and I'll also get to leave early. And so that was my thinking. Now I got messed up instead. <laughs> um, so, so, I, so I come up, but just before I get there, somebody slips in right in front of me. So now I'm in line, sort of like, you know, in the grocery store line, when all of a sudden your line was the person with five buggies, and now you're looking at the other lines to see if there's a better line that you can get in, but you can't do that because you don't want, that's, that's rude. So I'm standing there in this line while this person is unloading everything from her life, everything, and it goes on and on and on. And so finally I think, you know what, I think I'm just going to leave. I've gotten my blessing. I'm just going to leave. And I turn, and just as I turn, a bishop, a United Methodist bishop, Bishop Jonathan Holston from South Carolina, comes walking all the way across the room with his arms wide open. He's coming for me. He's coming for me. And we're right here, right at the front. And he comes up to me, and he grabs me in this bear hug, and he's hugging me, and he starts to pray over me in tongues. A United Methodist bishop praying over me in tongues. And he lays his hands on my head, and he's praying over me, and he's praying over me, and then, whoom, I'm out. I am out. It's only happened to me two or three times in my life. I certainly did not expect it to happen to me while a United Methodist bishop was laying hands on me. And I'm laying there on the ground. My whole body is relaxed. If this never happened to you, I just tell you, it's just the most, it's a very sweet feeling in this liminal place. And I started to laugh. First, I was laughing just at the irony of this. I have just gotten slain in the spirit under the prayers of a United Methodist bishop. Nobody could have scripted that. <laughs> and, then it, and then the laughter just grew. Have you ever heard of holy laughter? It's a thing. There are stories about people getting holy laughter at some of the big revivals in the 19th century. It was actually sort of a thing in, in most revivals, even the Welsh revival. That w it was a thing. John and Charles Wesley, they saw it. 
They, they even talked about it one day. John had journaled about it, saying they didn't, neither of them thought it, they thought it was of the devil until it happened to Charles. And then it happened to John. I've asked, uh, you know, uh, what do you do with that, right? What do you do with that now that it's happened to you? That's exactly what I've asked myself. What do I do with some of this stuff that isn't my culture? When I'm the one who's been hit, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a thing that works in ways that aren't necessarily logical or reasonable or even knowable. It just works. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It is a relationship with mystery. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's something you do, sometimes with a blindfold on, and always with a deep trust that what's happening under the surface will eventually bear fruit. Kevin Watson, the guy who prayed over me at dinner and gave me that profound prophetic word, he's a Wesley scholar, and he says Wesley saw all these things, all of the manifestations, the getting laid out in the spirit and speaking in tongues and, and, and the holy laughter, all of those unusual spiritual manifestations. Wesley saw all of them through the lens of fruitfulness. Does it bear fruit? Does it bear fruit that lasts, fruit that endures, that, that has an influence? Does it, does it advance the kingdom of God? Because the inbreaking kingdom of God is the whole point. So back to my holy laughter. <laughs> I have to tell you, I mean, it was the sweetest, strangest experience I have had in a long time. I was laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. <laughs> And finally, I, I, I was able to sit up, and there was a woman sitting in a chair right there, and she was looking at me the whole time. She was, but it wasn't like she was watching me. She was like she was watching over me. She had this angelic smile, and I looked up at her, and it sent me. And I was out for a little bit longer, just laughing and laughing. I mean, at some point, I was on my knees, banging the chair, just laughing I, went, I laughed all the way back to my hotel room. I, I, I called my son-in-law. Steve was already in bed for the night. I didn't want him to hear this out of a deep sleep. I thought that was better to share the, when he was wide awake. And um, so, but I called my son-in-law. I'm trying to tell him. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I went to bed laughing. I woke up laughing. How does something as bizarre as holy laughter advance the kingdom of God? I don't know. But here's what I can tell you. For about 20 years, every few years, I go through a cycle of pretty rough depression. And for most of the times it's happened, I mean, it's 20 years, every four or five years, so three or four times, I've been able to find some medicine. I'm all about the medicine. If it helps, it helps. Get yourself where you can get your head above water. But slowly, the medicines have stopped working. And then there was that season when the vertigo was so bad, and the medicine made everything worse. So since December, I've been in a pretty rough place uh, emotionally. I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know. And it seems like it only got worse. In fact, on the way to North Carolina, I remember thinking to myself, I can't remember the last time I laughed. 
been months. But last Thursday night, someone scattered some words in my direction, some seeds of prayer, and I laughed. I mean, I really laughed. And somewhere in the middle of that laughter, I heard, it's over. It's over. I believe that laughter was a sign of my healing and a gift of God. And I would hate for you to leave today and the only thing you remember was, I didn't know Carolyn was depressed. That's not the story here. The story here is, kingdom of God is a relationship with mystery. And Jesus does things that don't seem logical. And sometimes he's working beneath the surface and we don't see it. I can't tell you why that happened to me and hasn't happened to you. Might never happen to you. Don't need it to happen to you. I don't know. I, I, I can't tell you why in general God heals some people this way and not other people. His, I don't understand how his timing works. He so rarely seems to answer the questions I ask and even more rarely ask, answers them the moment I ask them. Does that sound familiar? All I know is I couldn't wait to get here this morning and to tell my people this story because we know each other. And I'm hoping you know me well enough to know that even if I can't answer all the questions, I want to share this story with you because I trust God is in it. And I believe that in the telling that somehow, illogically, unreasonably, the kingdom grows. In its time, in its way, all mystery, all gift, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It is like a guy or a woman who doesn't know what he's doing, who doesn't know how it all works, but doesn't let, him, let it stop him from trusting the process. The kingdom of God is like a woman who planted a church in her living room. And 19 years went by. She doesn't understand why people come and go, and people come and go, but over time, she keeps spreading seed. She doesn't get what's happening beneath the surface. And then one day, something is big enough for people to rest in its branches and feed on its fruit. The kingdom of God is a relationship with mystery. The kingdom of God is something you do, sometimes with a blindfold on, and always with a deep trust that what's happening under the surface will eventually show up as fruit. Which means that maybe, just maybe, God is doing something in your life or will do something, even if you know nothing about it right now. That's what I want you to hear. Maybe you're looking for fruit in the winter when the, leaf, when, the, when the roots are supposed to be growing deep. 
Or maybe you're tending to roots when the fruit is supposed to be showing up. Nathan Finocchio says, when you know the season you're in, it sure helps. I want to ask you to stand. Where Mark ends in chapter 4 is such a funny thing. After the telling the parables, he, he gives us a scene of Jesus out in the boat with his followers. And a storm kicks up, and these guys are scared to death. Don't you care if we drown? They ask. I don't know how, who else in this room has said that to Jesus in the last, yeah. <laughs> Don't you, I got one honest person in the room. Who else has said that? <laughs> Don't you care if I drown? Don't you care if I drown? Don't you care? Jesus is in the boat with all the peace in the world about him. And he says to them, don't you get it yet? <laughs> Do you not get it? Don't be afraid. Where's your faith? That's what he says to them. Don't be afraid. Where's your faith? And then, un no, no explanation, just calms the storm. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Think what he means to say, Mark. He organizes all these stories just like he organizes them and then ends with this. I think he wants to say to us, what's going through your life right now? I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. You probably can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. What are you doing here this morning in a warehouse on side street and Evans, Georgia, what are you doing? <laughs> you drove from Texas to get here. $17. Hours. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, people. The kingdom of God is like that. It's like that. Like a person who falls on the floor and somehow gets healed. It's like a person who laughs themselves out of depression. It's like a person who fill in your blank. It's like a person who waits and they don't see what's happening under the surface and it sure doesn't look like anything is happening above the surface. And then one day, one day, a harvest. Jesus, I pray for my friends. I pray, Jesus, for my friends that we will lean in and look. We don't want to be, we, we don't want to be like the people in Mark, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not understand. We don't want to be like them. So give us eyes to see, Lord. Give us ears to hear and a heart to receive everything you have for us. Give us an imagination for the kingdom of God. Jesus.
come and meet every single person in this room right where they are, Jesus. Right where they are. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.